Well, I understand this is picnic day, and I'm really happy to be on the schedule to speak on a day when there's a picnic pending. There, there's nothing more motivating than, than food and fun and play to get people to go to church, right? I'm all for that kind of thing. But you know, in our gospel reading this morning, there's not a whole lot of fun and play actually described for us. Jesus speaks of, of leaving his disciples. He speaks of then coming to his disciples. And most of us know how this story is played out. Jesus does leave. He, he dies. But then he returns. He comes to them in three days. Then he ascends to God the Father. And soon the Holy Spirit is unleashed on the disciples and on the rest of the world. And I sometimes wonder if we haven't heard this story so many times that we don't fully grasp how disturbing all of this stuff must have been to the disciples. First of all, the the very language of leaving and and returning would have raised all kinds of questions for them. Uh, And and the space between all of these events would have left them uh, confused, uncertain, even, even frightened about their own future. Jesus had been a very significant person in their lives. And when he left, they must have asked themselves if this kind of, you know, Jesus phase was now over, and and they just have to mourn the loss and get back to life as they had known it before. Now, of course, we know that this was much more than just a little blip on the historical timeline of the world. But soon the disciples would learn that what they thought was an ending was actually a beginning. As all things related to Jesus, however, the ultimate outcomes were were never as people actually expected them to be. So no, this was not a time for play, but a lot of things were at play. God was at play, even as Jesus was about to leave his friends behind. You know, I've been thinking um, a lot these days about what happens to us when the significant people in our lives leave us. Over the past three months, I've lost both of my elderly parents. We had the family memorial for my mom yesterday, so this is all pretty fresh stuff here. And my brother and I and our wives have overseen the care of my parents over the last two years, and, uh, and now they're just gone, just like that. Now, I know that a lot of you have experienced loss, loss of people that are are close to you, and and you know what happens inside of your mind over the days to come. You start rehearsing your family history, you look at all these old pictures, you imagine what these people were like when they were young people, what kind of challenges they faced as they were looking to their whole lives being ahead of them, And, and then you start having questions about the very significance of human existence. And think about lives that just come and go so quickly. But there's also the realization that in the loss, something has changed for you, for us. Something has changed within us. In the passing of parents, for example, you recognize that in your family structure, you've kind of moved up a notch in the family hierarchy. Uh, At my dad's memorial service in May, one of my daughters said to me, well, dad, now you're the patriarch. And I thought, oh my goodness, she's right. I'm the older of the two kids. My brother's eight years younger than I am. I am the family patriarch. And I don't even know what that means. I mean, do I need to grow a beard? What do I have to do to step into this role? I don't know. But, but you know what my daughter said really carried some truth. 
When the important people in our lives leave us behind, whether that's through death or relocation or whatever the situation happens to be, there's not just a change in that relationship, there's a change within us. Something changes inside of us. Now, for some, it's just loss. It's just the pain of losing someone. But others will process through the loss and embrace the new roles and assignments that now come into their lives. Now, in our text this morning, we know that Jesus' disciples would soon learn this very thing. According to John's gospel, after the resurrection, some of the disciples just went back to work as fisher people. Just now we've got to go back to what we used to do, life as we'd had it before. Uh, they might have been seeking to just renormalize things after the events of the last three years with Jesus. Now, in, in Mark and Matthew's gospels, they receive a commission to make disciples, but they don't seem to act on that commission, at least not right away. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit overwhelmed them on the day of Pentecost that they stepped into the new roles that God had now given to them. And none of it, none of it was as they had expected. Now, it's true that, that Jesus was no longer with them in body, but the very Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead was now in them around them, working through them. And all that Jesus was to them would take on new life, and they would become people that they never expected to be. Now, I know that uh, everybody's processing a loss here. Uh, Todd and Debbie have, have moved on to a new assignment, and today is significant because it marks the very first Sunday of the space that they've left behind. And it's a space that we all inhabit. And, and even though we have an idea of what's to come, because Holy Trinity's new pastor, Jordan Center, will be here in September. I look forward to meeting him. I've not met him yet. But there are always going to be questions about what life at HTC will be like going forward and how you'll be able to do life together without Todd and Debbie in the room. Now, I've known Todd a long time. I've known Todd for well over 20 years. He, he coached me when I planted my church. He's been a good friend ever since. He, he alerted me to the doctoral program we did together. And he's made all kinds of investments in my life, like he has for many of you. So indeed, I will miss having Todd in the neighborhood, so to speak. You know, <clears throat> I was thinking yesterday that right after we planted our church, back in 1997, the, the founder and leader of the church movement we were a part of died very abruptly. And uh, he was well-known internationally and had a, a significant impact on all of us, especially on those of us who had stepped out to, to, to plant and lead churches. And so just a few months after this man's passing, we were at a pastor's gathering, and Todd had taken on the role of the national, as the national director of the movement here in the U.S. And he got up and he stood in front of all of us, and there was a lot of, a lot of commotion in the room, a lot of questions about, oh my goodness, now what? You know, Leader and founders died. Who are we? And uh, he stood up and he looked everybody over as he does. And uh, he knew that the people were shocked. They were confused about what might lie ahead. And then he said something like this, if memory serves. He said, you know, this loss is both personal and professional for me. He said, I've known this man since I was 19 years old, and he has invested deeply in my life. And I know that he has meant a lot to you. But ladies and gentlemen, 
Our friend is dead, and you are not. Well, uh, <laughs> you can imagine the buzz that went through the room. That is not what they were expecting to hear in that moment. Uh, people were just struggling about how do we move on. But Todd's point, boy, it stuck with me. It was so important that the loss of this leader, he said, may be a loss to you, but it is not the loss of you. Jesus reminds his friends that he has said all of the things that he has said to them while he was with them. Face to face, eye to eye, he told them things that caused them to marvel, things that completely changed their lives, and the works that he performed, works in which they very often participated, exercising demons and healing the sick, those things would mark their lives forever. So, what would happen to all of that once he was gone? You know, two of the most significant mentors in my own life, they died within just a few years of each other. One was a business leader who was my boss in business for 12 years and remained a really good friend for a decade after that. And the other was a theology professor at Fuller Seminary who was very significant to me. Both had really made a lot of investments in my, lives, both in my life, both directly and indirectly. And, and when they passed, I, I got thinking, you know, where's all that good stuff go? I, I mean, they had got these big brains that just hummed with ideas and, and questions and possibilities, and they poured all of that into other people, including people like me. And then, but once they died and their bodies returned to the earth, I mean, the whole machinery just goes, where's all that great stuff go, I wondered. There's no cloud storage where those things are left behind you can tap into and see what's going on, you know? So how is it that it all just drifts away as though none of it mattered? And a while later, it occurred to me that, well, it, it doesn't go away. It really does not go away. It simply takes on new forms and creates new possibilities, and it comes into the people who have been the recipients of all of those investments. And those people now have a new role and a new responsibility to take what has been given and to invest it in the lives of other people. Now, to be clear, Todd has merely moved to Nashville. He's alive and well. I don't want to get into a death spiral this morning. But still, to the point, Todd has invested in all of us in some fashion. And the investment is alive and well just like Todd. In the short history that we have in the, in the book of Acts, we see people moving in and out of one another's lives. We see them establishing new churches and then leaving these dear new friends behind as new leaders rise up while people like Paul and Barnabas and Peter crisscross all over the Mediterranean. And, and we're given a picture of the early church as a true movement. That is, it's something that's always moving, always in motion, always learning and growing, always being drawn into new realms of life and mission and faith. It's a church at play because God is at play. Now, we can talk about play in different ways. We can talk about play in terms of having fun, like you have at a picnic. 
But when we say at play, we mean that there are multiple things happening at the same time to influence and affect some other result. So to say that God is at play is to recognize that God is always at work, always doing something, always present in the dynamics of life and human relationships. And Jesus spoke of this in the Gospel of John when he said, my father is still working, and I also am working. God is always working. God is always at play. God is always present with us in the dynamics of constant change. You know, I don't like to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, but sometimes I have to because the birds in my backyard are awake. It's morning. It's time to squawk. And, uh, and they are really, really noisy. My bedroom window is right there. And uh, I just wish they'd sleep in one more hour, but they, they don't. And I, I hear them, and at first I'm annoyed, but then I realize, well, you know, they're, they're welcoming the new day in bird fashion. And there's kind of a signal that something's happening out there. And as the day begins to warm, the plant life responds, and the, the insects buzz around hoping to eat something before they get eaten by one of the birds. There's life going on that I can't see. There's underground life. There's microscopic life. And all of this is a reminder to me that, that life on earth is always at play. And we, of course, believe that it is God who has breathed life into all things, and it is God who sustains all things, and it is God who is constantly at play in the world, and all that he does is aimed toward his ultimate intentions and purposes. You know, over the years, I've, uh, I've come to believe some things about God that make sense to me. Now, I know I'm on real thin ice here because I've got some pretty theologically astute people sitting in this room, but I have the microphone and they don't. <laughs> So anyway, but I do think I can defend my beliefs biblically and theologically as best I can, but then those who don't agree with me say exactly the same thing. So nevertheless, I have to say that I've come to believe some things about God that help me to think about God being at play in the world. Let me start with some things I don't believe. First, I don't believe that God is merely interventionist. That is to say, I don't believe that God remains distant to us only to occasionally intervene to just sort of stir things up or to occasionally smite the innocent. I believe that God is both transcendent and imminent, both above us, so to speak, and with us, always at work around us, in us, and through us by his Spirit. I believe that. And secondly, I, I don't believe that God is deterministic. That is, I don't believe we're merely living out a life script that God has already written. And I believe that what we call the future is really just the constant unfolding of the present through the passage of time. I'm sorry for those of you who like the Back to the Future series, but that's just what I believe. And I believe that in that unfolding of the present that God is always with us in that unfolding. But what I believe is determined are God's intentions and purposes for the whole of creation. And as God is at play in the world, he is aiming all things toward that end. Now, it's okay with me if you see things differently. I think there's plenty of room for that. I, I grant you all the space you need to be wrong about these things. But perhaps we can agree together that God is always at work. God is always present to us. God is always at play and attentive to all the movement and change that we experience. 
I remember many, many years ago, um, right after we started attending church on a somewhat regular basis, overhearing a conversation between my mother and my new friend's mother at this little church we just started going to. I was about 13. And the church had just gotten a new pastor, and my parents really liked this guy. He was young and vibrant and as hip and cool as you could be in 1965. And, uh, but my friend's mom was not so hot on him. I mean, she didn't dislike him, but his style of preaching was not her thing. And she said, yeah, he's okay, but I wouldn't walk across the street to hear him preach, she said. So my mom, never one to be subtle, said, then why don't you go to a different church? Well, for my mom, who was the daughter of a former pastor, the person at the pulpit could just make or break the whole deal in the life of a church. But my friend's mother was a very dear person. She said something that I've never, ever forgotten. In reply to my mom, in a kind of surprised tone, she says, well, I don't go somewhere else because this is my church, and, and these are my people. You know, she understood something very, very important about the Christian community. For her, that, that community was a people rather than simply an audience. And not only that, in, in our old tradition that we were in, in the holiness tradition, pastors usually moved on every two, three, four years, so if you didn't like the pastor, just hang on. You'll see a new one in a while anyway. But, but her words were still important to me. These are my people. This is my church. And I think one of the greatest contributions that Todd has left behind here at Holy Trinity is the environment where a people has emerged. A people bound together not by ethnicity or common interest or even by church background. I know that. The church backgrounds are various throughout this congregation. But instead, he's, he's left behind a people filled with the Spirit of God, a people for God and with God, a people that together and individually bear witness to the Lordship of Christ and to the present reality of the kingdom of God. You know, it seems rather timely, I think, that we experience two significant earthquakes over the weekend. Very convenient to be given a couple of analogies for this morning. Um, because an earthquake creates immediate change, doesn't it? I mean, they don't last very long. Uh, I mean, a minute maybe, the most. Um, and they're over, just like that. It, 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 that's where the change comes, is in that brief moment. But it's the transition to the earthquake and what the earthquake has done that's the big challenge for people. Because once that brief shaking is over, then people have to assess the effects. There's messes to clean up. You have to shore things up. You have to plan for whatever comes next. And in some parts of the world, it's a devastation of an entire city. So it's the transition that's tough. And so, yeah, we are a people in transition, and not just because of a couple of earthquakes. A change has come. A relational change, a leadership change has come here at Holy Trinity. And now we're preparing for what comes next. That's where the transition happens. But God is always at work. God is always at play. And God is always with us. And so we can rest in the confidence that we are not alone. Certainly we are a people together. But we're not alone because God is with us by his Spirit. So perhaps the role that comes to us now is to keep the house, so to speak, to encourage one another, to love one another, and to prepare 
for the adventure that's yet to come. Will you pray with me? God, we recognize that we inhabit a kind of uncertain space right now. And in that uncertainty, will you come by your Spirit and refresh us in a new way that we might look forward to the work that you will do. And by letting go of our certainties, will you raise up our confidence that you are with us, that you are for us, and that at all times, you are at play. Amen.